0: this is scibite episode 87 for March 26 2013. everyone and welcome to Cybite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly mind enhancement pack. Live every Tuesday over at JVLive.tv and fresh Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather.
1: Hello there, Chris. Hey,
0: Heather. Happy science to ya.
1: Happy science.
0: What are we talking about this week?
1: This week, we're going to take a look at new heart surgery techniques, the age of the universe, a pipe-sized paleontologist, Robot Snake, new Google Mac locations, (laughs) spacecraft, and story updates, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week.
0: Holy, wow, that's a lot of show. I (laughs) better get us rolling. Let's do the news. All right, Heather, where do we begin all this science tonight?
1: All righty, heart surgery. So a lot of the, you know, um, you may have heard of going in for a catheter to break up. You know, the clogged arteries and things. But now there are a lot of these heart surgeries that, you know, require you know, sawing open the chest are actually being able to be used with minimally invasive procedures like catheters. Mm. Now, these are all sorts of things from repairing valves, uh, irregular heartbeats, holes in the heart, other defects, all these things without doing major surgery. So like heart valves, there's, you know, hundreds hundred thousand people in the U.S. alone need, Surgery for a heart valve, a leaky heart valve. Now, generally, you have to go in and you have to do this whole replacement thing. And I mean, half of the people, you know, die within two years. Mm. There's a lot of people who just can't have the surgery because they're too weak for it.
2: Uh But
1: a little over a year ago, there's this company who won, who got approval to sell this artificial valve. And it is, they shrink it down, they put it in a catheter, and they thread it up. Inside the you know inside inside it and then inside the, the deficient valve, and then they let it spread out and it sort of becomes a new valve for the heart
0: wow, so they sort and, of slip it in there and then it grows
1: yeah there's some of these there some of this technology is starting to work for with the arteries that are clogged and have a lot of uh, ch- cholesterol buildup and plaque buildup hmm. I say and they have these little tubes, you know, that are, they have a lattice work, so they have them all crunched right, up and right. dried in there, and then they pull out the sleeve and it expands. It holds up the, it holds open it's the. It's like a brace.
0: It's like a, Yeah, it holds yeah. it
1: open as a brace, and also they can put some materials on the lattice work itself to help break down that kind of material. So now they've got it where they can actually have it as a, you know, as a valve. So, hmm. so, so they, you have you, so as into, a valve,
0: they can. Does that mean they can control it after the fact? Like they can increase or decrease it, or is it once it's in, they're sort of disconnected and it stays?
1: Well, once once it's in, it's just like a set it and forget it. Okay, you put it in.
0: Nice. So you don't have to like have works. anything connected.
1: Yeah. So I mean that opens the, you know, the floodgate to all these people who, are, you know, too weak or they are inoperable. They maybe they need. You know, are there going to be complications? Mm. Now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's some of it being sort of in the process for the Food and Drug Administration. Um, it's already sold in the Europe.
0: Oh, in, in, in the Europe. in Europe. Yeah, uh, in Europe. And, and so it's, well, it seems like if it's already being sold in Europe, then it's probably likely not going to take too long until it reaches, unless there's some reason for it not to. I mean, I would, I would assume Actually it's going to be in- here
1: theory they for some reason the fda has sort of mixed reviews on it oh really and whether or not it'll actually win approval in the u.s is sort of under question from what i was reading oh really so there are a number of these technologies that are going to be dissimilar to this statement it
0: seems like you know uh, yeah and maybe there's some other stuff where you know we have working on here but gosh you know it seems like uh, i don't remember the stats but isn't heart disease just one of the most rampant issues we have right now right yes yeah so I mean it seems like it seems like there's a probably a massive market for getting something like this in there, so it seemed to me like that would put a lot of pressure on the fDA to push it through
1: yeah, some of this cutting edge technology in other locations I've seen the you know widespread approval you know might take a whole bunch of different hoops and shoots and ladders, but for you know small subsets of people, they might win approval where it's nothing else is going to do anything I'm heading down one specific road Gosh. um hey why not can't hurt gonna die anyway
0: well uh yeah that's a little that's a little dark but I, you're right yeah it's totally
1: dark but that's the kind of thing you know they win you know you get exemptions essentially when somebody's like okay long term effects kind of in the gray area because it's try something or nothing. So in those cases, they, you can get a lot of wiggle room sometimes. But as mm-hmm. far as widespread for this specific valve, it's not for sure yet here in the U.S. Now, what else they're working on is actually for heart rhythm problems. There are actually little bits of, they can take the catheter and go up and actually like vaporize, or they call it ablate. Little bits of the heart tissue that are causing the abnormal signals. Really? Yeah. So they can locate where those little bits are and sort of zap it away. And then, I mean, 15 million people worldwide have this sort of some sort of rhythm pro- rhythm problem called atrial fibrillation. Mm. It's where the upper chambers are beating too fast or too slow, and that lets blood, you know, pool up in some mm-hmm. you know off couch, and then that can cause clots. So they're kind of moving at this two different directions. They're saying, okay, well, we can go in and we can zap the troublemaker troublemaker spots in the heart, keep it from beating regularly. And then they also have some uh, another where they can put a cath- another catheter through the chest wall and sort of go in and sort of seal off the, the, the pouch that would be causing problems. Hmm. So stop the the base issue and then seal off the part that would probably be causing, you know, the ability to have or the chance to, should I say, to have clots that could cause major problems, health issues, you know. Right. So and that specific one is also sold in Europe and parts of Asia, still pending the F- FDA here in the U.S. Okay. They've also got a different technology for for that same thing instead of pinching it off where they've got almost like a little umbrella thing where they put it inside that area and then pop it open. Mm. So that sort of plugs the troublesome area too. (laughs) Hmm. So a couple
0: of different approaches.
1: Yeah. Now they're also looking for, you know, how to do this like fabric meshes for, you know, holes in the heart so they can thread that through a catheter and put it in place. Or, you know, people may have probably heard of the clogged arteries. You know, and now they're looking at, you know, most people know, you know, you go through the leg. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now there's a Japanese company that's looking, hey, what if we can actually do it through the arm? Mm, And it looks like they're able starting to do that as well. And what I really found crazy was high blood pressure. They can actually, they're testing for possible ways to fix dangerously high blood pressure. You know, can't be treated with multiple medications. But you can actually use a catheter and a radio wave to zap nerves near the kidneys, which fuel high blood pressure. Hmm. You can sort of go in and zap that as well.
0: That's pretty interesting. So some, so there's maybe uh, sort of zap it into better behavior. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So that could be yeah. a more of a instead of a lifelong medication regimen. Maybe they go in there and they just zap your, the edge of your kidneys a little bit. Hey, this little part of your kidneys, we just gotta got zap that a little bit. Then your blood pressure will be okay.
1: Zap one of the nerves there. Wow. So I mean, there's you know, there's always going to be some people who can't have that specific type of treatment or hit you know snags in testing. You know, it's going to be a number of years before it sees you know wide treatment here in the U.S.
2: Mm.
1: But it's a good option for people who have, you know, they might not be able to be medically stable enough to do that or have to use long-time blood thinners or too old or too fail. I have, I uh, mean, both of my grandfathers had coronary bypass. You know, they both had, you know, you know, going in for the plaque. One of them had an angioplasty. So all these different types of heart procedures. And I remember it was really hard on them. So looking at this kind of things, I'm like, wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, my grandfather had to do this.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually, one article I read said, in theory, I forget which specific uh, treatment, but with you know going through the catheter, that it would be a number of days. Like you go into the hospital, stay a couple days, and that would be it.
0: Huh? Know, it wouldn't like be only... a long time hospital yeah. stay. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's too serious.
1: Yeah. All
0: right, sign me up for a burger. I think I'm good then. Yeah. Don't have <laughs> no, to worry about remember
1: it. Now. I said it would be a few years. We don't know. And oh, some of those, yeah. remember, there were little asterisks about FDA question mark.
0: Oh, yeah. I probably should at least wait for that before I go burger crazy.
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. Probably a good idea. All right. You let Science me know. Science approves with that idea. You
0: let me know when I can just go nuts. And I'm going to I'll have a deep fried burger every day. And I'll just wait.
1: Science does not approve deep fried burgers <laughs> every day.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Any other thoughts on that story?
1: No, I'm just kind of looking forward to see where this kind of new heart surgical techniques go to.
0: Yeah. All right, well, let's take a second here, and uh, we have two, that's right, two picks for you this week. Two picks! Yes, two picks. Woo! I can't even believe it. It's crazy. We got a couple of really good things coming out. First up, uh, this one, you probably want to put this in front of you right now, um, if you're a human being, and that is uh, Bioshock Infinite. The buzz is good, and there's it's available for the console and the PC. We'll link to the PC download version on Amazon, but if you just click our link in the show notes, we get a little bit of, a little bit of kickback for that purchase, and also... You can just click on the console one if you're getting the console one and we still get credit. So there's that. Bioshock, we're throwing that in there. It's available uh, right now. It's available now. It's like this week, right? Yeah. Came out today? I think so. I think so, actually. I think it came out today. <clears throat> I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking yes. about it. Second one, Star Trek Enterprise Season 1 on what? Blu-ray? Yep. Six-disc version on the Blu-ray for Amazon. We got a, we'll got. we have a link to that in the show notes. Here's the great thing about Enterprise. First three seasons shot on 4K film, which means they're going to come out great on Blu-ray. All right. None of the other Star Trek series were 16 by 9 4K film. All right. So except for the movies. So that's going to be awesome. All right. And then in season three, they actually switched to digital HD, which is even going to be more awesome. So Enterprise should look really good on Blu-ray season one and up. So go check out Star Trek Enterprise. And yeah, I know some of you hate on Enterprise. But look, you know what? If you watch it again after the uh, after things have passed and you've calmed down a little bit, you will realize it's not such a bad show.
1: I, mean, Enterprise. I never had the hate for it. You know, I liked
0: it. Uh, uh, season one was OK. It was pretty good you know season four season four and five season five was going to be amazing season five was going to be the Romulan war that was going to be incredible but let's not get into that just go check them out we'll have links in the show notes they're both really great picks Bioshock Infinite is getting a ton of really good buzz looks amazing I totally want it even though I just got Tomb Raider and Star Trek Enterprise is going to be a must watch on Blu-ray because that's going to be Star Trek looking at its very very best right yep okay well, thank you everybody who uses our links, and don't forget we do have those links at the bottom of our website. Just click there before you shop, or grab our browser extension, and you don't even have to worry about it at that point, or use the links in our show notes for those particular products. And with all of that done, let's move on to the News bite. What do we got in the News bite?
1: All right, there is a new estimate for the age of the universe. whoa. A satellite, the Planck satellite, launched by the European Space Agency in 2009 has been scanning the cosmic microwave background. This is the radiation that dates, you know, just, you know, very close to the Big Bang, 380,000 years. So what it is is they go back and they look and they can see, this is based on, you know, initial 15 and a half months of data from this satellite. But what they're seeing is the echoes of the radiation from the Big Bang. And so they can actually kind of see the state of the very, very early universe. Is are baby pictures of the universe, essentially? So they will to go, and there's you know, all you really see is you know white, with little red spots and little blue specks. <laughs> and what it is is that's temperature mark. Ah,
0: gaze. yes, the of course. The red spots
1: are one in one hundred thousandth hotter than the average, and the blue spots are just slightly cooler. So, but really all that meant is these temperatures are directly correlated to the density of what was there. Wow. What you're seeing is the red spots, you know, they're starting to kind of clump up together. Those are future stars, future galaxies, future stuff.
0: And am I I getting the impression from this video that when they overlaid this heat map with a map of basically the known universe, like some of the spots lined up that should have lined up?
1: Mm, Some of was, like it. Well, oh, what you're seeing is where they put it on top of the yeah. Milky Way? Yeah. Well, that is, is they're looking out and they're seeing the sky. Uh-huh. Now, there's a whole bunch of extra stuff coming in from the Milky Way galaxy, from other stars. So what they have to do is they have this. And it's like taking a picture through your car window when, you know, one of the kids has taken, you know, something and scribbled all over it. <laughs> so you're wanting to see what's in front of you. So what you have to do is look at that and start <laughs> deleting out what's on the window. Right.
0: Then just what behind is still makes sense. you starting to and, pull
1: back out yeah. the Milky Way and the stars that we see and kind of looking behind at the interesting stuff.
0: Boy, that seems like it'd be tough not to just end up seeing what you want to see when you're doing that. So you'd really have to be working your science.
1: Yeah. You have to be really careful with science.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. So I mean, at the very beginning, this is I mean, at the very start of the universe, 10 First 10 to 30 seconds after the Big Bang, universe expanded faster than the speed of light. Right. So we've got all these little tiny fluctuations that arose immediately afterwards. Now, they ended up being on really large scales, accelerated expansion. So what they're able to do is by analyzing the nature and distribution of these things, we can kind of determine the composition and how, if we know how the universe looked when it was young. Start trying to correlate it to what there is now, to kind well, of see how it is. So this has
0: been a, this has been a huge leap in. Is image resolution the right word when it's an X ray?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, essentially the resolution of the data, the imaging. But yeah, it's huge leaps and bounds better than we've had in the past, which lets us do a lot more detailed analysis of what's there. Now some of them, of the you know with the new data and the new information we have. Not matching what we predicted. Ah. As expected, sometimes we can say, hey, <laughs> new data, it's crazy because it's not matching up with what we thought. Yeah. Um, now, some of it does to a certain degree, but there's some things that are really confusing. There's some asymmetry here. Now, since it started off so small and it exploded, we would think, you know, these areas you know, on opposite sides should be roughly the same. You know, there should be kind of a overall spread Thing of what's going on. Now, there is a cold spot that extends over the patch of the sky that is much larger than we would expect would actually be there. So, a more, you know, stuff that isn't there. You know, so it's cold, it wouldn't have had anything. So, it's kind of interesting as how that moved. Now, some of it actually is a really perfect fit for the standard model, but there's a lot of details that sort of branch off there are trying to make us really kind of rethink what was going on now in fact it sort of ex- sort of simple model of the universe but we we're able to kind of narrow in how much of it was you know we have normal matter dark matter dark energy sort of recalculate and refine how much of the universe is made up by any of those things and it actually we we're able to look at the rate of expansion and if we look at the rate of expansion then we can say hey that's a little bit different hmm. so it's a little bit slower which meant that our calculation for the age of the universe is a little bit older now we think the old universe is 13.82 billion years Ooh. about 80 million years older than we previously had thought
0: So that's what old you know,
1: universe and a, a drop in the bucket, but 80 million years. <laughs> oh, man. So we're still, and there's still a whole bunch of data coming forward from this satellite.
0: In the big but, scheme of things, it's really not that many years, I suppose.
1: Yeah, in the astronomical sense of the word, universally, right. <clears throat> on the scale of 13.82 billion years.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this scale, and it barely a blip on the radar. <laughs> not <even laughs> a blip, actually. Not, actually would not qualify as a blip. <laughs>
1: That's okay.
0: Well, unless it was back at the uh, at the beginning of the Big Bang, because then apparently even a matter of seconds was pretty critical. Even a year would look like it was pretty critical. It's not until it's interesting as time has progressed how less important the passage of time has become, right? If you look at the beginning, well, yeah, a few seconds, a uh, hundred years was very important, but then as expanding. you get to the think, end,
1: yeah, I always like to think um, think of blowing up a balloon. You know, those first two breaths go from nothing to an actual balloon. (laughs) And then, slowly but surely, then it's expanding, but the shape of it is just sort of moving more slowly. So that's the kind of thing that's going on, is those first instance when everything was going from teeny tiny little spot in the negative universe of nothing to kablaoi, everything. So... There's a big step there and that's a lot of times those graphics will do uh, logarithmic uh, visualization. So it's really zoomed up so that you can see. Yeah. Because a whole bunch of the interesting stuff happened in the first year. So you want right. to spread that as, out yeah. as much as possible.
0: Right. Very fair. Very fair. And then
1: after that, it's sort of chilling and growing and doing its thing. Yeah. slowly but surely.
0: <laughs> well, and uh, if you zoom in really, really closely, you'll, you'll find Cybite on that uh, on that map.
1: Yep, Maybe somewhere the in the last vertical line at mm-hmm. the end of the map.
0: Where the uh, black pixel starts to turn. There's like a gray pixel between the white and black lines.
1: <laughs> yeah, like part of that pixel. <laughs> it's right.
0: side The corner of that pixel. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in all, tiny bit of the in corner all of fairness, that's about all of us right there, so it's, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. We're right there with everybody else. All right, Heather, will any other thoughts on that story? No, I don't think so. All right, then, let's move on to the 2
1: bite news.
0: Yeah, bought the band dinner tonight, so they seemed like they were nice. in a pretty good mood, didn't you think? I think so. Yep, they brought their good instruments tonight, too, which was nice. Nice. Yeah. All right, there. what's in the two-bite news?
1: All right. I saw this story, and I had to include it. There's a pint-sized paleontologist out there. Uh-oh. And what? I mean that seriously. <laughs> so a new species of about a crow-sized ter- uh, pterosaur has been named Betrodaco Daisy Morrissey in honor of the nine-year-old fossil hunter who discovered it.
0: So a nine-year-old found like a, a dino bird?
1: Uh, she was five when she ran across some bones sticking out of the sand oh, wow. on the uh, U- uh, UK's Isle of Wight of off the southern shore of the UK.
0: That is adorable. Look at her. She's adorable. Oh, there's I a-
1: know, Like back in 2008, you know, her, her and her family were, you know, cruising down the, the beach looking for stuff and she saw some little bones. And so her family brought it to a paleontologist at the University of Southampton who, you know, helped colleagues and looked through it. Now, the reason we're just hearing about it now is because she had to stay quiet about it. I can't believe staying quiet about it for such a long time because they had to wait until they were absolutely certain exactly that it was a new species, what it was, no tried to get more data on it.
0: So they're pretty strict about that kind of thing. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But uh, for a little girl, that must have been pretty tough, especially, I mean, she must have told her, I mean, you know, she was in school and stuff, right? I mean, she must have told friends. She'd have yeah, to I tell mean, friends.
1: Kind of you'd think so. Now, I mean it was it was like each of these different pterosaurs have, you know, very specific parts of our skeleton that are very unique to each species, skull and pelvis, and they found the pelvis of this. So they're actually able to go through and say, Hey, this type of pterosaur, about crow sized, probably good for a terrestrial environment, like woodlands, forests, plains. Mm. <laughs> about two and a half feet wide. Uh, tip to tip, about over a foot long. So
0: lived about 145 to
1: 165 million years ago.
0: I think it kind of had webby, webby kind of like, uh, I guess kind of like duck feet, I suppose.
1: Kind of, a head crest. Probably, I mean, it was a good walker or runner on ground. So <laughs> it actually, it ended up being the the co-author for the paper about this. Ended up writing a children's book. Oh, really? Calling Daisy and the Isle of White Dragon. Kind sort of talking about the process.
2: Duh.
1: But it was adorable. I saw that. And I was like, who doesn't want to be the kid who says, hey, yeah. look at that. Yeah. I want to bring it somewhere. And I discovered a dinosaur <clears with throat> so species. You,
0: you guys out there, when this happens to you, need to email SciBite. So email SciBite at jupiterbroadcasting.com or use our contact link. We have that at the top of the show and you can at the top of the w- website and you can just choose the SciBite show in the drop down. Send us in stuff like this. You know you're out there. You know you're yep. out there. Even if you're not out there. I mean, really. You could still send us stuff. We'll still we'll still take emails from you. (laughs) All right. Now we have uh, another story in the two byte, right?
1: We do. There is a story robotic snake.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay, (laughs) good.
1: Yeah. Now they have had these before, where you know it sits on the ground and it kind of wriggles or swims, but this specific one mimics (laughs) the action of being able to. Yeah, they have them where they can climb up objects, but this one you can throw it. And it'll wrap around it the object that's thrown at.
0: That's actually super crazy useful. Yes. I mean, I like if you could uh, use that for wire management, you could use that for uh,
1: Like toss it and it <laughs> And if they could miniaturize it. The edge of the table edge. If you
0: could miniaturize it. Let me tell you, that'd save me some time putting up Christmas decorations too. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm, I'm just like if we could make this commercial, I'm all for no, it. No, it
1: doesn't constrict. It's not gripping. It's only wrapping. Oh.
0: Well, I need gripping.
1: Yeah. That's why I was like, wait, no, it's only Wrapping itself around. It's oh, you know, Hammy makes a great point um, in the
0: chat room. Uh, the superhero market for this Batman. I mean, hello, Batman would. This is the kind of thing Wayne Tech needs to develop, right? There you go. Yeah.
1: And Very BD, cool. uh, BD in the chat room. Yes, it is military funded, so a lot of these kind of crazy robotic things are. Yeah. So it's just looking at it the same type of thing where it says it's moving, and then it has an accelerometer that says, "Hey, there's something here." So then it starts wrapping around. It must
0: be a DARPA project because the YouTube video after I watched that, all mm-hmm. of the suggested videos are all a DARPA v- robot videos. Then yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, right? I mean that makes sense because they're the people that are out there trying to use this stuff right now. I mean I get it I, as long as as long as we eventually get our hands on it, I'm I'm kind of okay with that.
1: Okay. as long as you can do wire oh, management. Look
0: at this, Heather. They've even attached a light at the end of it, so it can. Oh, oh my gosh, this one has a camera at the other end of it too. Yeah. So you could put a oh wow okay now I don't like it again now I don't like it. oh, <laughs> It looks like is it using an air compressor?
1: You know I'm not sure. Doesn't it kind of look like I,
0: it in the in the photo? It kind of looks like maybe it's a like a. Yeah, I'm it not could sure
1: what just be a uh, data cable.
0: Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, could be. But that's really that's really kind of a. If I can get my hands on it, it's cool. If if they're gonna throw it up on lamp poles to survey people, I don't like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like give or take. All right, well, uh, why don't we uh, move on, and uh, I think we've got a few stories that have leveled up and have some updates. We do. All right, what is our first update?
1: All righty, Google Map. Occasionally, they go to wild and crazy and remote <laughs> locations and give us little street views of walking through the Amazon, and now they have added some of the locations from some of the highest peaks in the world. They went to Mount Everest, to Ooh. Kilimanjaro, to, um, in Russia, Mount Elbrus, in Argentina, in Argentina, uh, Aconagua. So now on Everest, they didn't actually go to the tippy top. They went to like the base camps. Right. But still, you can go and you can like walk up and down the the rock trail. And I looked at the base camp one. It was kind of funny because, of course, it has to be cloudy the day they're able to be yeah, there. Uh,
0: yeah. I was just thinking about that, of course. Right. But I mean, what are you going to do? It's not like yeah, you're going to so, go back up there another day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Go up, and it go was up like a there. group of them that had sort of randomly thought that they were going to go make this trip to Everest. And then they went, Hey, let's take our cameras. Oh, so they did, um, lightweight cameras and tripods with fisheye lenses. I mean, they hiked 50 hours, covered more than 70 miles, 113 kilometers. So it looks,
0: it looks incredibly prehistoric.
1: Yes. It's kind of funny. You're like walking along the path and it's like rocks, rocks.
0: Oh, so much. I think
1: there's a tent. Oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of tents. Wow, that's where you hang out at the the base camp for Everest. That's like the last like sign of civilization. Yeah,
0: and it's, it's a lot of rocks.
1: Tent plopped up on rocks.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of rocks. I'm not so sure. I mean, that looks like uh yeah, it looks almost like an alien world. You put a red filter on this, it would look like Mars almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost, right? Yeah. Well, except for all of the snow. And the, Well Well, I suppose maybe not. Well, sand that's part of it. There are some places. That beautiful blue sky does not look so much like Mars.
1: Now: This
0: is really cool, so I feel like I'm checking. this is, this is a level of detail. I'll, I've never thought I'd get to see of the Everest Base camp because I was never going to go there on my own.
1: Yeah, I do. And there are all a whole bunch of different other you know high mountain tops, and in fact, some of the areas, they went to a monastery and took a whole bunch of pictures of one of the monasteries in that area. I said it was kind of fu- uh, kind of funny because the monks kind of just kind of wandered around looking at them. They're like, we're pretty sure they were just kind of thinking how crazy all our camera equipment was.
0: Oh, yeah. They're like, "Uh, boy, you guys go to the most furthest away from part of civilization. What do you do? You bring as much civilization and technology with you. You can? You crazy. That's what they're thinking.
1: Yeah. But there's also sort of a a blog that they had. So it's sort of a behind the scenes, them saying, you know, what was going on. and So it's kind of interesting to be able to go and see those (laughs) because I'm definitely with you. I'm not about to be going up to, uh, you know. 29,000 feet.
0: Kind of interesting. He doesn't even begin to describe it, actually, to be honest with you. It's extremely interesting. Uh, so yeah. well, Heather has links to those in the show notes. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Look for SideBite87. And then scroll down below the video, below the download links, and you will find links to uh, all of our stories. Everything Heather talks about. Yeah. She has copious amounts of uh, linkage and uh, lots of videos and all kinds of stuff, and including links to check out the Everest Base Camp and uh, the, uh, what was the other one? There's a, you had a, actually another one in there too. I was just looking at, but the Everest one is incredible.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, Kilimanjaro, Elbrus, Aconcagua. <clears throat> uh, so okay. a number of those yeah. famous peaks.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, this next story is really kind of interesting for us uh, Apollo fans. Of course, I think that's probably everybody out through the Apollo yeah. 11 engines. There's, I guess, uh, our, our, our longtime friend, buddy of the show, James Cameron. Yeah. Has uh, been doing a little bit of a search, hasn't he?
1: Yeah. Last year, uh, Practically almost a year ago, April 3rd of last year, talked about James Cameron had this whole thing where he said, Hey, I'm tracking down you know, the Apollo 11 and all the other, other Apollo you know, big engines from the Saturn V rockets, you know, the big boosters. They went off and they landed in specific parts of the ocean. So James Cameron went, Hey, I think I'm going to go check those out. So, went down, and now they have actually been successfully recovered some of the engines that Apollo astronauts use to get to the moon.
0: I I would, if I had the funds and if I had the means, I would do this.
1: Oh, it, it would be awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, so now kind of the good side is of this, right, is this going to be like the, the level of documentation of this is going to be phenomenal, right? I mean, they're oh, going to document and capture all of this, I would assume. Oh, of course. Yeah.
1: Now, whether it's not the Apollo 11-specific, now they're pretty sure because of the location that it oh, would be. I guess you would Apollo's know for sure
0: till. You yeah, got, there yeah.
1: are plaques on various pieces of the engine parts. So, and they're still there. So now they just have to go and they have, you know, they've made the recovery. You know, it's, you know, they're 14,000 feet down. So, I mean, 19 feet tall, so pretty big things. I'm, I'm kind of
0: amazed. I guess that's just been, it's been a. I guess when you think about how technology has progressed, it makes sense that eventually, eventually we would go after these. Yeah. Like, I've always lived my life thinking them as forever being down there, mm-hmm. but of of course we're, just like we've gone crazy over the Titanic, of course we're going to go get all this yeah. stuff. But he, this is an interesting situation where this kind of technology and science is available to the to the private citizen who can afford it, you know, the, yeah. the James Camden's. Now, uh,
1: everything still belongs to NASA. Right. At the bottom of the ocean, doesn't matter. Now, they're working with him to sort of help figure out a way to exhibit and restore them. Because they've been at the bottom of the nice, salty ocean. Now, you have to rinse them, repair them very carefully to sort of restore them into a viewable, you know, exhibitable, you know, state. Mm -hmm. They did something similar with the uh, Liberty 7. What the... uh, Apollo, uh, Gemini, the sort of era capsule mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he was brought out and then something happened and water got into the capsule and it sunk to the bottom of the ocean and they're able to find that and bring it back up and they were restoring it at the cos- uh, Kansas Cosmosphere years ago. And I was actually able to sort of, I had to be traveling through there at that time. So they didn't have it on display. But if I stood sort of near one of the railings and leaned way over, I could kind of see some of it, and that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't sound as there. awesome, I but if I was it there, like, hands on the piece of you know <laughs> wall that's sitting there, so I'm like, all right, I must find a place. So I go scurrying around. My family's laughing. <laughs>
2: I'm
1: like, hey, if I lean over here, I can see some of it. So that's kind of what they're going to be doing now. I'm jealous of you, Chris. Oh yeah, because he has already proposed display areas at the Smithsonian and the Museum of Flight in Seattle.
0: Yay! I like
1: that. I'll, yeah, I will so, go.
0: I will give you a full report, absolutely.
1: Oh, you better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll go che- bring the kid. That'd be fun. Or kids, as the case may be. Yeah. Or maybe even the wife. No, you know. If everybody, get Science for the whole family. There and you go. know, I kid, but I'm serious at the same time. I mean, that really oh, yeah. is like... You know, an opportunity to talk about these things with the kids, and that is important. Yeah, I mean,
1: not just talk about it; it's something tangible right in front of you, saying, "Hey, that piece of equipment helped get somebody to the moon," because the landers are all on the moon. You know, and it's there's only so much equipment Mm -hmm. that actually came back to Earth.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Do you think at some point, do you think at some point we might retrieve the landers?
1: Or do you think we would um, no, always leave are international, them there as There really are international space treaties that say all of the landing sites for all the different countries are... Monuments? Yeah, international monuments. Okay. So international parks that no one can touch. Okay. There's like a boundary around them. So you'll be standing... So if we're all on the moon one day, they'll have a little... We'll be standing at the railing. Peeking in.
0: Oh, a little observation deck kind of thing with like yeah, a, yeah. there'll be observation decks to mm-hmm. see. That'd be great. I'm I'm ready for that. Yeah,
1: let's Absolutely. go. Absolutely.
0: All right, Heather. Well, uh, we have a little uh, spacecraft update here. All right, what's new up there?
1: The Grail lunar probes we talked about them a while back. They were the twin probes were orbiting around the moon. Oh yes. Very precision distance part, and as they change distance they were able to sort of map the gravity of the moon. So they kind of get an idea of, a better idea of the interior of the moon's surface.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, they crashed. They sort of purposefully crashed them into, um, you know, little mountains. But the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is orbiting the moon, taking pictures, was actually able to spot the little craters that they made. Now, there was Now The place where they crashed was in the dark part of behind a shadow so we weren't able to actually see the crash itself but going back through the imaging they're able to say here's old image here's new image hey there's a new crater there yeah and they're able to see little sort of a black ejecta which is much darker than the ejecta around it now that might actually be you know parts of the spacecraft or parts of the fuel other little bits of the carbon fiber Hmm. body so that's Probably what it is rather than something being dug up from underneath the top layer of the of the moon. Oh sure. So it's kinda cool that we we're able to go back and say, Hey, that's or, where they were.
0: Or it was an alien spacecraft that landed on the moon and they're covering it up. Huh? What do you think? No. 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 Oh, man, that would make for such a great episode, though. If that ever happens, we are going to have the best side bite in a long time, because, I mean, how do you top that? We might just have that. I don't want to say it, but no, no, of course, it's going to be ongoing science. so Of course, we wouldn't. Can that would not Can you
1: feel happen. my science eyebrows oh. being crooked at you?
0: You don't even want to entertain the thought. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Now, uh, why don't, uh, while we're up in space, uh, why don't we why don't we hang tight and uh, head over to Curiosity and get an update? You ready? Go. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Confirmed. We're safe on Mars. Right there. So what's Curiosity yep. up to?
1: All righty. They've actually got a new technique for searching for water with their mass cam. Huh? It's the little camera up on the mast that sort of swivels around on top of the the rover. Right. So what they're able to do now is sort of use that. They've been using it for mineral mineral detection. Mm. Now they can use it for hydration detection. So what they're able to do is go through all the different filter wheels of the camera and sort of experiment by taking measurements in different wavelengths. Hmm. And so now they're able to use that to actually sort of detect water without having to drive up to it.
0: Oh, I see. So they they can decide if it's worth going somewhere. They can kind of save time.
1: Yes, exactly. And what they've also seen is they're able to see that the area around it is much more hydrated than they thought it would have been. Uh Ah. So they would look, you know, at specific, uh, you know, there's bright veins and some of the minerals nearby at the rocks that has been looking at, and those have, you know, high water content or the high hydration that there used to be a lot of water there. Now you can see it's, you know, the whole Gale crater where they are, there's much more water than we thought previously thought. Now, of course, there's some limits to it. It's not sensitive to specific types of, you know, hydrated minerals, hydrated uh, phosphilosates, which were type of hydrated um, rock in the material in the rock that we're actually looking at.
2: Mm.
1: So, but there, you know, those are the kind of things where it's clay minerals. So, you know, it will be exactly as you said, a much better way to sort of eyeball everything and say, Oh, hey, actually, that little bit of an area right there that doesn't look like much. Turns
0: out worth our time. There. Yeah. Worth our time, not worth our time. That kind of thing.
1: Very much worth our time now. Yeah.
0: that Which is extremely valuable.
1: Oh, yeah. you want It was you know like the uh, laser. You laser things and take the spectrographic analysis of a rock far away. You can mm. see what it's made of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So now you can say, hey, there's hydrated areas over there. Hey, what does that rock look like? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that rock is really interesting. Let's very precisely head to where we want to go mm. or where it would be the most bang for our science.
0: <laughs> bang for our science and our limited yeah. communications window.
1: Yes. <laughs> Speaking of in April, uh, thanks also to Joshua C. Wilder, J. Wilder 47 on Twitter. He also made sure that I noticed this. It was coming up in the show, but I wanted to give you a, a shout out. So the positions of the planets in April means there's going to be very diminished communications between Earth and Mars. Mars is going to be passing almost directly behind the sun from where we are.
0: There's going to be that big star in our way.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of a star in our way. So it's going to degrade a lot of the radio transmissions. Now, when it takes pictures and sends it back to us, not such a big deal when some of the, you know, the picture has got holes in it, but we don't want to send data to it telling it what to do if it only gets part of the signal. So,
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty dangerous. It might not uh, do the right thing.
1: Exactly. It might put itself in a a harmful situation. So they're going to take a little bit of a break. Now, the science will keep going. They've got, you know, built up sort of things, you know, health checks, safety checks. They're going to take a little bit of pictures here or there. So they've got kind of a a to-do list while they're sort of downtime. NASA...
0: Wow, wow. When when is this?
1: take a breather, take some naps.
0: So we might not have a Curiosity update when that happens.
1: Yeah, the Curiosity updates might be taking a nap as well in April, so I will apologize now if there's not a lot of science between now and then. We (sighs) might still be getting some data back.
0: What are you going to do, move the sun? Yeah. You never know. Maybe they'll have some data in the data to reveal.
1: That is the other thing, is that they will be staying on data. They will be storing up the data, and... They'll be sending it to the um, orbiter. Mm,
2: okay.
1: There's a couple of different things. We've got the old Opportunity rover. It's seen five of these conjunctions now. It's going to be down between April 9th and 26th. Uh, and the Curiosity rover, they're going to bring it down from April 4th all the way to May 1st. Mm. Now the orbiter is going to go into record-only mode on April 4th, which means both Odyssey and... And Curiosity will be still sending up data to the orbiter, and it's just going to be on hold until we can get like a data dump back to us when it when the date when the transmission clears up. Now I think it's probably going to have about forty gigabytes of data. Ooh. twelve from Curiosity. You know that'll all be sending back to us around May first. So April may be a little, you know, a little calm. But by the time May comes around, it's
0: gonna be packed. there's
1: going to be like a month's worth of data built up.
0: Going to have Curiosity Compression.
1: Yes. So May <laughs> will be more exciting.
0: Okay. Well, very cool. All right, Heather. Well, any other notes on that story?
1: Uh, no, there's a quick note. And if you want to look at there, I've mentioned it a couple times where it's, you know, the images, you see different versions of it, you know, raw, calibrated, white, yeah, yeah. balanced. So if you want to know a little bit more about that and kind of visualize it a little bit better, there's a couple of notes in the show notes. we
0: brought that up a few times here on the show, so that's yep. always good. And it's a, it's a good reference point if you've heard, if you've caught a a past episode and you're like, oh,
1: what, the, what, what, what? There you go. Yeah, there's a good uh, comparison image right there, right there that I found. So very nice.
0: All right, well, uh, buckle up, Heather. I've got uh, I supercharged the time machine this week, so here we go.
1: Okay, oh, oh, lock it. Oh, it's an overshoot. You feel that
0: power this week, right? I did. Yeah. There we go. There we'll, let me set it down. I'll set us down. Set it, all right. So okay. this week, uh, the time machine takes us to 168 years ago. April 2nd, 1845. What happened this week in science, Heather?
1: Speaking of photographs, the first surviving daguerreotype type photograph showing details of the sun was taken by a French physicist. So it's a little five-inch image, an exposure of one sixtieth of a second, hmm. which... About your eye takes about twenty times longer to blink. Hmm. So it's this specific type of imaging where you shine light on these big glass plates, and they're treated with specific chemicals, oh. and they're able to, help to see the various structures of the sun. They can see several sunspots, some limb darkening. Yeah. So, so this was cutting only, edge. Yeah, it was really cutting edge. They only protect perfected the type of that type of photography a few years earlier mm-hmm, i'm sure was so then they'd be able to you know calibrate and get experimentations going and they're able to actually get the image so it was really interesting that they're able to to get it to see those and that it has survived so using it was it sodium chloride uh solution of chloride gold mixed with hyposulfite of soda heated over a spirit lamp so there was a lot of effort going into these. This wasn't sounds like it. Polaroid or push down the button. Right. you, know, you, you complain with the old photo- uh, cameras where you, you may or may not have done this, but you know, wind up the film.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So like,
1: uh, this is such a pain. Yeah. How about?
0: I I lived in, in an era where you took the camera roll, the photo, the, the film roll into a place to have them develop the picture, and yep. they had to come back and get the pictures. <laughs> Yes. Which just sounds so crazy. Like these people are just going through your pictures. It sounds crazy now.
1: Yeah. See kids, we had to travel five miles up snow both ways yeah. to get our pictures. Yep. Only but in the these winter guys too. had it even worse. It was
0: winter twenty four seven when that happened. But yeah, boy. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: they, they had to really put in a lot of effort.
0: All right, Heather, well let me recalibrate the Sci-By two thousand. So that way we can look up into the sky this week.
1: Yes, on Thursday, March the twenty eighth. In the evening, you're going to see the moon rising in the southeast. Spike of the star will be to the upper right. And Saturn will actually be rising to the lower left of it. Mm. That's on Thursday. I approve. On Friday, now Saturn will sit right above the rising moon in the southeast. And then on Saturday, actually early morning. So if you're up for some reason, you're a poor soul on Saturday morning, Mm. you can look to the right of the moon. And that is Saturn then. So it's kind of moving around. Thursday, it'll be to the up, uh, lower left of the moon. Friday evening, it'll be to the above. And Saturday morning, it'll be to the right. So in total, Saturn, you know, about an hour after twilight, it's going to be hanging around there, around the, the moon. And Jupiter is not going to be left out this week. Mm-hmm. After sunset, it will be high in the western sky. Kind of moving down as the night progresses. We'll be setting with Aldebaran. I mentioned that one a lot. It's a nice, red star. Nice. And the Pleiades star cluster to the much farther lower right.
0: Jupiter knows how to do it. I
1: I'd, know. I'd hang out with
0: Aldebaran. is a partier. Tons of fun. Great great personality. That's where I'd hang out with Aldebaran, too. Makes yep. sense to me.
1: People, people confuse him with that Mars guy, which... I, I, you know, I have leanings towards Mars.
0: I understand. Well, the the red hue give gives people that impression.
1: Yeah, that's why I always point out that, you know, he's a star.
0: <laughs> he's definitely Literally. a star. Definitely a star. All right, Heather. Well, uh, I think that brings us to the end of this week's show, doesn't it? I think so. All right. Well, very good show. And uh, don't forget, everyone, that we are live Tuesday evenings over at jblive.tv. And then we're available for download Wednesday mornings. Heather, thank you for the great show. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for downloading or tuning this week's episode of SideBite. And thanks to our live chat room who showed up to hang out with us live. We always appreciate that. And uh, be sure to tune right back in here next week.